You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, White Sox fans, it's Brett Valentini here hosting the Southside Sox podcast. We got something different and a real treat for you. We're not talking to one of our usual writers and going on about spring training or whatever. We're talking to Aaron Santana, who's the minor league education coordinator for the Chicago White Sox. And you've probably read a little bit about her, maybe through MLB or some athletic pieces, uh, but thankfully, through sort of an interesting coincidence that we may get to later on in the podcast, uh, so was able to get in touch with Erin uh, and ask if she wanted to participate in a little bit of Southside Sox uh, intro, background, education. So we're going to launch right into it. Thanks, first of all, Erin, for hopping on. This is a really terrific thrill for us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I guess, first of all, let's just talk a little bit about you. How did you grow up as a fan in the game or just as a sports fan in general before even having this become something you do as a profession? Yeah, so... Um... My family are huge baseball fans. So um, my dad's family is from Vermont and my grandfather played uh, college baseball at the University of Vermont. Um, He was a left-handed pitcher back in the forties. And actually when he married my grandmother, their honeymoon was to go to I think he went to spring training um, for the St. Louis Cardinals because one of his former teammates was pitching for them and he got to pitch batting practice on his oh, honeymoon. Wow. <laughs> so, and, that, and, your, and your grandmother knew what she was getting into if she was going to spring training. Yes. For her honeymoon. I know, right? <laughs> um, and then on my other side of the family, my mom is actually from Mexico. Um, and so my grandfather is a doctor. Um, he's 97 now. Uh, yeah. And he was a huge baseball fan and his residency was in Boston. 
So he became a Red Sox fan very, very soon after moving to Boston. And um, so I've always said I grew up with baseball um, from both sides. And for my Mexican side of the family, that was one of the only places growing up here in Maine that we ever heard Spanish. Mm. Um, And it was really it felt like a safe place for us um, and felt like we could be accepted kind of, uh, you know, we saw other people like us, which in Maine was very rare. (laughs) So aside from having to be prepared to maybe potentially one day change your socks, when, at what point did you go from fan to thinking, Hey, maybe this is something that I could actually do, um, you know, as my livelihood. Um, Well, my mom always tells the story that when I was little, I talked about being an agent for Latino oh. players, like since I was little. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> I obviously did not end up following that path. Um, but I, I was in education for, for years. And one day was thinking like, maybe it's time to explore what's out there. Um, and happened to see a job opening with MLB actually in the commissioner's office um, because I've worked in uh, recruiting of uh, underrepresented populations as well. And it was actually an HR job with the commissioner's office. And I thought, oh, I could go for that. And uh, I went to apply for it and it was gone. So I was all upset And, but I didn't let it stop me. I went on LinkedIn and just kind of figured out who would have been hiring for that. And lucky for me, it was Tyrone Brooks, um, who runs MOB's diversity pipeline program. And um, I reached out to him and said, if you ever have other positions, let me know. He took a look at my resume and was like, you've done education for years, like teams need educators right now. Um, and so that was about three and a half years ago, um, that that happened. And it, it just worked out that my resume got passed along to a bunch of people and ended up in Chris Getz's hands. Um, so were the White Sox really the first team you had some kind of advanced, uh, talks with, obviously it helps that they, you know, have an opening and an interest and they did, yeah, uh, but was, yeah. was it sort of a, a first, uh, you know, sort of good luck first shot with the White Sox? Yes, it actually was. Um, The Mets reached out to me a couple of, maybe even a couple of weeks after I was talking to the White Sox. Um, But I was very honest with them. It was like, I'm kind of pretty far (laughs) down the road with the White Sox. So I think we're going to stick with them. Um, And then just so, so happy with how it worked out. I mean, I, I couldn't ask for a better, a better situation. How important and encouraging was it that uh, Chris, who I believe sort of took a little bit of what the model was with Kansas City and wanted to incorporate that with the White Sox, how important was it to have a guy you're talking with and who maybe is ultimately hiring you uh, to be the per- to, to sort of know what it is, to have an idea of what it is you want to do rather than just being handed the keys and say, all right, go figure it out? Yeah, um, that was amazing. Um, he actually got my resume because Jeff Diskin, who works for the Royals, saw my resume okay. first. And Jeff said, I know Chris is looking for someone just like you. I'm going to hand it over to him. Um, and, and it's just been awesome to have that support. I mean, Chris has seen how successful Kansas City right. program has been and, and has given me the freedom to be able to kind of implement a lot of things from Kansas City, but also come up with my own ideas. Um, and he's just been super supportive. 
what was the the uh, I suppose you weren't exactly building from completely from ground up, but what was the, you know, the circumstances you're down there, maybe in the, uh, the Dominican facilities or just in general, uh, knowing that you had to build, but did you really have much foundation to build with? And was that a good or a bad thing being able to sort of uh, cultivate it and, and create it yourself? Yeah. Um, so we had, we had some things in place, um, we had a company that we were contracting with down in DR um, that provides English language uh, learning. And then we had a teacher who was an hourly employee, basically, um, in Arizona. And that was about it. <laughs> um, and so when I came in the first year, Chris was like, take stock of what we're doing, figure out if it works for you, if there are changes you would make, if there are little changes in this first year, go for it. Um, Otherwise, like, just start planning for this first year. Um, And so in this, by the second year, I was able to get a full-time teacher in DR um, who only teaches for us uh, and a teacher's assistant. Um, And so we were able to really, really launch our high school completion program down there with the teacher's assistant. Uh, And then I have a teacher in Arizona as well, who's a full-time employee. So about, I would say like 25 to 35% of his job is actually teaching class, but um, he's also kind of a baseball ops type of guy too. So we've been really lucky (laughs) to have that. Were there other organizations either to begin with or even ongoing that you sort of, I imagine it's a bit of a, a somewhat limited fraternity that you sort of bounce ideas off of or, or borrow ideas, you know, from as, as this evolves? Yeah. So when I started, there were, I want to say 13 teams that had someone in my position total. Um, definitely the pioneers are uh, Mayu Fielding from the Pirates uh, Sharon, uh, I can't remember her last name, but, uh, she works for the Tigers and then Jeff Diskin from, uh, from the Royals. And then even the Dodgers have been doing some stuff, uh, for about like 10 years. And so we were able to, they have been great about sharing materials, um, and kind of sharing successes and challenges, um, but then I would say even in my first year teams, MLB kind of highly suggested <laughs> that teams hire someone in this position. And so now I think we're up to 28, maybe out of 30 clubs. Um, and so we have been really lucky to kind of grow together. Um, I have a group of, there are five of us total that kind of work for similar organizations. So one from Cleveland, one from Minnesota, one from uh, the Marlins, and one from the Phillies. And the five of us girls are on WhatsApp constantly, (laughs) you know, are you having trouble with this program? Is your, you know, are your guys struggling with this? Um, You know, we're not sharing trade secrets, but we're you know, supporting each other. And I, I have to say that group of five women really, um, I couldn't do my job without them. Um, just because there are so many little intricacies to, to navigate when it comes to educational systems of other countries. Um, And so we kind of do it together. And we're going to get into the, maybe the nuts and bolts a little bit of the program here in a second, but a little more big picture when Luis, when we've talked to Luis Robert last year, um, 
he made it pretty clear that, uh, and I'm sure there was a little bit more involved in this, but you know, the Cardinals were coming after him heavily and the White Sox seemed to be the real, the two teams that were really involved. And the thing that he told us was knowing the heritage the White Sox had, uh, particularly with Cuban players, but you know, if it was a tie, you know, he knew some, some of the White Sox players and personnel, but, you know, if there had been a tie, he was familiar with what, you know, you'd consider like a tradition, a tradition at this point with the White Sox. And of course, all teams have it to whatever degree. And you play an increasing role in that, um, you know, maybe even just a minor role, but it's a significant role. And when you hear things like that, and when you know that there's beginning to be this, you know, this so-called pipeline or whatever, but the that there's attractiveness about the White Sox, uh, you know, how personally rewarding is that to you to know that this is one of many tangible ways that your work is paying off? Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's huge. <laughs> it's, it's really, really nice to hear that, that guys are feeling comfortable, that they're being able to, you know, not have to worry so much about the off the field stuff. Um, because I mean, that's really what my purpose is, is to make sure that the challenge is, just to be good on the field, you know, and the challenge is to work as hard as you can. And then when you're off the field, you're not struggling to figure out what to order at a restaurant. You're not struggling to, to um, navigate issues with a landlord, for example. Um, And, and Luis Robert is obviously a very special case. Um, He flew through the system, had like four different teachers every month. I was hiring a new teacher. Um, And he, he, he just rolled with it. Um, and so he definitely, you know, took advantage of his time in the minor leagues to, to soak up as much as he could. Um, and, and I know that, that, that culture of, I want to pass it down to the next, the next guy who's like the next me, um, is paying off. I mean, I see it with, uh, Yoel Cespedes. Um, I, I literally teach him four to five days a week just one-on-one me and him um, because he wants it because he realizes from his teammates how important it is. How, you know, the, the instruction and actually the nuts and bolts of what you do, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's probably your thing. We don't really want to dig into that too much, but I guess, and you do have obviously one-on-one, you probably have maybe more of a group setting at sometimes, but probably a lot of it is and the most valuable stuff is the intensive one-on-one how much of that is sacred or how much is encouraged? Uh, I'm just curious, maybe as a personal philosophy, uh, whether it's uh, watching maybe subtitle programming, um, whether it's even English slang, uh, how, how sacred is what your text is versus just uh, be a sponge and try to try to get it all because that can maybe introduce problems for you with your instruction. Yeah. I mean, we, our whole program is designed for baseball players. So we are trying to confront whatever situations they might come across. Um, and so if it means like, you know, watching something on Netflix with the subtitles on will help them to kind of pick up what their teammates are talking about, or, um, you know, just to feel more comfortable with their teammates, then great. Um, but all of our instruction is I mean, it's, it's geared towards people who play on, you know, like they play baseball. Sure. That's their thing. Their thing is not sitting around reading books. So <laughs> <laughs> we're not really doing that. Um, we do a lot of role plays, a lot of like fun games and things that to try to make it fun. Um, 
So it's like me. I I I download the Spanish English baseball dictionary because that's you know that's cultivated to what I need. Sure, the dictionary is very important, but yeah, I can see how you want to be able to get some stuff first, and then maybe you can get you know get to the other thing. Absolutely, and and that's that's huge. And one of the things too that I'll just mention is that our teachers are on the field. Our teachers are, you know, if there's a game going on and there are pitchers sitting, our teachers are sitting with them. Mm. Um, we, we take every, like English is part of everything um, and, and make sure that it's, it's relevant to them or else they're not going to buy in. Mm. And from what I've been able to sort of track about the program that obviously it's gaining acceptance, it's gaining popularity to the point where maybe there's even a little bit of you know, peer pressure to say, Hey, you know, get more into this, you know, and of course, when guys, uh, Yomer Sanchez and probably even Luis at this point have, you know, ascended, you can look back and say, Hey, you know, there's some real value in this. So do it, but you're probably going to run into players maybe who are maybe a little more reticent or, you know, just unsure, or they might even be sort of, you know, maybe even at times faking to go along. Like, yes, I understand when maybe they're, they're not really, uh, throwing down the NTNDA. So, uh, is that, a, you know, is a challenge for you? It's obviously not just as easy as, okay, uh, it's time for class and there's never any uh, hitches or problems. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I've, I've literally knocked down one of their doors. Um, <laughs> one of them had a test and he was in his room sleeping and mm. I was like, somebody take me over to his apartment. I'm banging on the door because this kid is not going to miss this test. Um I mean, yes, that absolutely happens, uh, but there is that growing culture uh, among the players and, and guys are seeing the most successful players are the ones who are really taking this seriously. And um, I'll give Luis Robert credit. He, he has always said, people talk about five tools on the field, but I see English as one of my tools. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not good at it. I am not going to, I can't understand what's happening and I can't be the best player that I possibly could. Yeah, let me tell you how impressive it is when, again, even last year in the Zooms, uh, spe- speaking to Luis came up a ton, of course, right from the, right from the jump. And to see him following along uh, to the English questions, of course, relying on the Spanish trans- translation from, from Billy, just for, of course, his comfort, but to know enough to the point where even for some, some quick answers for him to just shout it out in Spanish. I know he did that in English. I know he did that to me a couple of times, you know, granted it was probably a jokey question, but he caught it and, you know, he, he just jumped at it as a way of beginning to transition into perhaps, you know, one day fully uh, answering in Spanish and and seeing that sort of stuff's got to be incredibly encouraging to you. Absolutely. Yeah. He's very smart too. So that helps. (laughs) No kidding. Um, and, and then I guess in, in speaking again, a little bit to the, the, to the reticence, uh, you know, I think you and I, you know, briefly exchanged some ideas before we did this. And, and I spoke about how me and Alice way back, you know, a decade ago, Alice Ramirez, uh, had, you know, discussions about sort of training each other, you know, uh, him for English, me for Spanish, sort of that agreement. Then, but then when it came time to do a lot of the interviews, oftentimes he would call the, the interpreter, uh, you know, over, which is understandable, of course. Jose Abreu is a guy, see, following along every time he's always nodding. So it's pretty clear he's understanding pretty much all of the English and yet still feels comfortable only uh, responding uh, in Spanish. Is that something you feel you need to push guys past or is it really just a personal thing where it's like, hey, you got to do what you're comfortable with? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I never got to work with him, obviously. So, um, but I, yeah, we are, that's one of the things that we do, even starting in the academy, we have them start to do even just basics. We, our teacher records them um, as if he's a reporter. He actually used to be a, a radio person. He's got a great voice for it. And he really acts like a reporter and um, you know, just to get them used to having someone in their face, like asking questions, um, because it is a comfort level, level for a lot of them. Um, I mean, and I think about our American guys, there are American guys that are scared to do interviews too in their native language. So then trying to imagine producing in a, a second language, obviously it's very difficult. So yeah, it's, it's something we're working on. Um, and you know, trying to make it as realistic a setting as possible too. Fortunately, sometimes when you, unfortunately, when you hear some of those English for native English speaking interviews, you say, gosh, I wish they would have maybe been a little bit more careful. <laughs> we might get to that a little bit in the second half of our podcast. Uh, before we take a little break, uh, it's it's such a fun anecdote. I think I read it in, in, in James's athletic story, but uh, just take me sort of through the thrill and the surprise of seeing uh, Arvin uh, Mendoza uh, give his first, at a very young age, give his first uh, English uh, interview, maybe maybe up at Great Falls, but the, the thrill that must have been for you. Yeah, I mean, that I, I will not lie, I started crying. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, he sent it to me, I actually didn't find it. Um, and he, when he sent it to me, I was like, oh my gosh, what did he do? Because I wasn't sure if he was ready. <laughs> Um, and I mean, I just watched and was like, oh my, like, this is a kid that I, I had in, in DR, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and really one of the first kids that I got to work with at a pretty young age. Um, and so just to see the growth in him was amazing and just so, so rewarding and, and, um, yeah, it's, he, (laughs) He has grown a lot in so many ways and, and just such a good kid. And I was so proud, so proud of him. <laughs> so. On that note, we've reached probably around the midpoint of the podcast. We're going to take a real brief uh, break and uh, we'll be back in just one minute. Hey, back here. It's Brett Ballantini on the Southside Sox podcast with Aaron Santana who handles the education, all the coordination education for the non-native speaking, speaking players. Uh, we've been talking a lot about that. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the responsibility the English-speaking uh, personnel and players have. And let's kick that off by just talking about what I think is uh, an aspect of the program you're encouraging, which is perhaps to have players sort of have an English-speaking sort of like study uh, buddy or uh, is that an element you're trying to work in in terms of sort of interfacing as soon as possible with teammates who are English yeah so um in the AZL season two two years ago obviously um we decided to have a, a combined <clears throat> English Spanish class so we had all of the all of the guys that were in Arizona at that time um were working together to teach each other. So we, we basically made little uh, binders that had both English and Spanish, and we would work together on pronunciation and figuring out how to say certain words. Um, and then we also, every, every week, they would have one day 
where it was separate. So um, <clears throat> our Spanish speaking players could actually, like some of them were a little more advanced <laughs> than our English speaking players were in Spanish. So um, <clears throat> that worked out really, really well. And it was uh, so well received by the guys that were there. We had um, Michael Kopeck was rehabbing and asked to be in the class. <laughs> so that was really cool for some of those younger guys too, to be like, oh my gosh, this guy wants to be in class. Um, and he was great. <laughs> so. yeah, and it's super encouraging that the culture is such that, you know, maybe even as, as little as five or 10 years ago, you've got native English speaking players who are maybe just assuming it's all the work has to all be done on the other end. And they have to come to me. They have to speak my language. They have to understand me. They're an American, all all that type of thinking. Um, And I imagine just in your short time with the White Sox, you've seen the beginnings of that, you know, that culture change with, which I guess Michael Kopech is, is maybe, you know, the latest big exclamation point to that. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely has. I mean, I think, I have the advantage of every year a new a new group comes in. They don't know what we did last year. So yeah. I can say, this is what we do here. Um, and everyone has been really receptive and um, accepting of it. Uh, the other thing, too, is Chris led that trip um, to Dominican Republic a few years ago mm-hmm. um, where he took some of the American players down. And, and that really changed a lot of guys. Um, you know, having to feel what it feels like to not understand anything that's happening around them really gave them a perspective that they could kind of take back to the clubhouse and be like, I'm going to help my buddy here because I know what that feels like and it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess that said, and certainly not pointing fingers at any, you know, one organization because, uh, you know, baseball and society in general is still struggling with a lot of these types of, of conflicts and transitions and making people who aren't like you feel welcome in your workplace or just in, you know, in your neighborhood. Uh, obviously, you know, maybe about a month or so ago, there was a situation in Seattle where, you know, executive really spoke very frankly uh, you know, and, and in, a, in a pretty denigrating manner toward at least one player who sort of made this transition and, and, and successful, uh, successful transition to become a bilingual baseball player to the point where he's actually, you know, sort of a, a, a media figure. Uh, when you hear those stories, uh, is it mostly discouraging? Is it uh, helpful to know, okay, you know, there are still people on the other side, you know, who might be working against me. Uh, is it just simply, uh, is it simply ignorance? Uh, does it just make you more determined? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't speak to <laughs> what happened out there about anybody else. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely makes me feel more determined. Um, I mean, I, I end up being pretty close with these players just because, I mean, we, we form a relationship and I mean, Harvey Mendoza, for example, calls me mom half the time. So, you know, it's, it, it feels personal in that way. Um, just because like, I see these guys as my kids and, and it feels, I, I wouldn't want anyone to speak like that about any of them. Um, but it does, it does encourage me just to, to continue. And, and I will say too, like I said before, I feel super lucky to work for the White Sox because we are an organization that, I just feel positivity from the top down. I mean, I'm, I'm very supported by every, everyone I come in contact with. I have not 
felt any degree of like, eh, why are you doing this? Right. Why is this happening? You know, like, wh- what is your job? Why are you right. here? It's been the exact opposite. It's like, Aaron, get on the field. I need help. <laughs> and I'm like, are you sure you want me on the field? You know, like, right. I, I also understand, you know, gender dynamics as well. Right. Like, I'm a woman showing up in very much a man's world. Um, so yeah, I, I, it encourages me more than anything. The, you know, we're talking here and it seems, you know, peer, I'm using the term peer pressure, but you know, the, the, the peer value, uh, whether it maybe even as a, a native English speaker, but certainly among even players in each class or players have moved on and maybe are talking to a class as they're more advanced uh, along those lines, you know, how important are some of the, um, you know, some of the motivators like, uh, uh, you know, the incentives, the graduation that, you know, that, that type of the ceremonial stuff um, to, to reward players for, you know, even maybe a small step uh, along the road. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we're always trying to, to, reward players in different ways. Um, the graduation really has been the big motivator. Um, we had our first class like three years ago now, um, with Anderson Comas and Luis Mieses and the two of them just, I mean, people look up to them and people are like, you guys were our first graduates. And, um, and so now, I mean, players come in asking us about the program now, whereas before we had to like do a whole meeting, you know, be like, you know, this really would be good for you. It's mandatory. <laughs> like, um, I, I would say it was mandatory. It's not really, but, um, and, and it's become a huge motivator. So now we do, we do fun little games and things. And we also, this past year before COVID, of course, we're planning to do, um, to have class captains. And so these are people who, you know, they take ownership of the class. They make sure that guys are being quiet and paying attention. They are the leaders in the class and they are just, you know, um, yeah, we, we want to give them as many leadership opportunities as possible too, because that becomes motivating as well. Mm -hmm. I've known, um, Billy Russo for, for quite some time. He's played a lot of different roles in the organization. How important is it, you know, for, for me and, and interfacing with players at really more or less the major level, how important is it for them once they get there, even if they've pretty well mastered English, let's say, but if they're still in the transition of that, to have a guy that they like, that they can consider a peer, that they can tease and maybe can get teased back, uh, to have that co- kind of collegial atmosphere rather to be somebody who maybe they don't know, maybe in some ways they can't relate to. Yeah, no, I think it's huge. Um, and and it, we're really lucky to have a, a guy like him who can just like, just like you said, like joke around with them, becomes a friend. I mean, I, I totally get how that happens. You know, they they trust him and trust is so big, especially, I mean, imagine going to another country that you don't know, um, just to have someone who's done that himself and, and been able to navigate the systems here, it's having that trust is huge. So yeah, that's, that's a really important aspect. What, um, given that we're, we still are in the pandemic circumstances and even seasons are still uh, somewhat in doubt, certainly at the affiliate level, uh, obviously we can see maybe a, 
one positive side being that it could allow for more opportunity for more intensive study. I mean, there's just less, you know, there's less distraction, less distraction you're allowed to. We all should have probably learned two or three languages <laughs> during this time off. But are there downsides in terms of maybe some of that practical learning? You know, I know there's been museum trips and such. And, and, and I imagine an important part of the, the language learning is also, you know, it, it's culture learning, it's, it's assimilating, and, and that stuff's cut off. And maybe in the near future, maybe for this entire season, it's going to be cut off. Is that a real downside? Uh, not that there's anything positive to come out of a pandemic, but that is a, an aspect that we might overlook because you think, well, you can just sit there and keep reading and studying. You should have this uh, licked by now. Uh, that other stuff is an important aspect to, to, to the whole the educational process, yeah? Absolutely. I mean, just the culture piece, being able to navigate different different places. Um, I mean, I talk to the guys all the time about accents, for example. Our mm. affiliates are in places where people have accents. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I tell them all the time, there are times that I don't understand mm. in Alabama or North Carolina. And, and so we try to talk, like sometimes they try to imitate the accent a little bit in class. <laughs> but like being there, there's nothing like being there. There's nothing like actually hearing native speakers with that accent to be able to figure out what they're saying. Um, and then on top of that, yeah, absolutely. The, the trips that we get to do, I mean, some of those things, it's not just like here, let's like do some culture learning. It's like, let's do something different. Let's get out. Let's have fun. Let's get to know each other, you know, in a different setting. Let's, um, I mean, there last year, uh, we had apartments, during spring training, we had guys learning how to do laundry. <laughs> I mean, I'm not really on Zoom teaching kids how to do laundry. <laughs> I've done it, but um, it's, you know, it's not the same as <laughs> standing right next to a kid and being like, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. Beyond that pandemic, it was obviously a huge challenge itself. In the last year, we've had um, such interesting uh, political transitions. We've had um, protests, we've had police violence. And even speaking to what you just said, Folks who not only are perhaps accented and very difficult to understand, because believe me, I'm right there with you, it is a challenge, Um, but people who might not care, they don't want to necessarily be understood, they don't feel they need to be understood. I imagine you have to call a special session here and there, um, maybe to address things that have nothing to do with language, but just here's the challenges you're faced, here's how you should feel good about what you're doing that maybe some of these other people you have to deal with don't care about doing, Um, sort of giving them that value uh, or making clear the value of what they're doing, which is an extraordinary effort. I mean, millions, maybe billions of people across the world have, but, you know, and they're just one of them, but there are a lot of people they're having to deal with who don't care. It's not important to them. And that's got to be sort of daunting and, and could probably be um, possibly be discouraging at times. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's, there you'll find those people anywhere <laughs> that you go. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we definitely, talk about that um but it's it's more you know like let's have conversations about even their own cultures and where they find things like that in their own culture um as well as as U.S. culture but I think it's it's just something that all the teams are going to have to address (laughs) in 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 some way um but yeah it's got to be done (laughs) yeah We've lost the uh, Great Falls affiliate. Uh, there's one last, or there's one fewer. 
Um, and of course, Great Falls, like any of the stops, you know, presents uh, present challenges. I don't think there's a situation probably at this point where there's ever just a sole primary Spanish speaking player on a squad, or if so, that would be very rare. But the fact that there's one less affiliate, which would then mean there might be more peers at any one stop. Do you anticipate that as much as you don't want to lose an affiliate? Do you anticipate that perhaps helping the mission or helping the comfort for players, given that they'll feel less alone? Because let's face it, just because guys are from different countries, they might, they could be from the same hometown and they might not get along. So it's not a given that, oh, well, there's another Spanish speaking guy there. So he's fine. Uh, it, it, that consolidation on many levels is, is sort of a, a, a downer and a negative thing. But in, in this respect, it could very well help players. Yeah, yeah, it definitely could. I mean, I think guys, it's funny to see guys who make the transition from Dominican Republic to Arizona, because that's where you see it the most is in Dominican Republic. There are some differences, you know, there are some times that, you know, a Venezuelan guy will be like, I'm going to stick with my Venezuelan guys. And a Dominican will stick with his Dominican guys. When they get to Arizona, they recognize, oh, I got I got to get as many allies as I can. <laughs> I don't care where you're from. If you speak my language, we're friends. Um, and so a lot of that bonding does happen when they first hit the U.S. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely bummed to lose Great Falls. Uh, we had such a great culture there of homestay families and people that really took care of our guys. Um and so that that is a real bummer. Um, but I think there will be, you know, that just that opportunity to even bond even further um, in the affiliates will be really, really important for some of these guys. What's your sense of I mean, this is a sort of an offshoot of, of, of what we just spoke on. Uh, and certainly um, stateside, we tend to see again politically where we just want to look at Spanish speaking peoples as all one and they're a block and there's there's no just because there might not be that great a difference between Iowa and Illinois, we assume perhaps. Uh, Ecuador and the Dominican Republic would not have such a big difference when in, in fact, there probably is a significant difference and it's a mistake to just paint with too broad a brush. I'm going to ask a question that has to do with that sort of Cuban pipeline. Obviously, that gets a lot of very deserved attention. Uh, Last year, the first four uh, players in the batting order were Cuban for the first time for the White Sox and for the first time in baseball history. It's tough to be very proud of with the White Sox. I don't suspect that there would be resentment among players who come from other countries, but is there a danger in getting a little too caught up in just focusing on, you know, one great success the White Sox have had when really they are trying to recruit and cultivate the best talent from from anywhere in Latin America? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's obviously differences between all of the different um, countries and, and the cultures of those countries, but I I haven't seen a whole lot of division between guys. I mean, we're like, when one of one of them moves up, we're like all cheering. It feels like a family, you know, like that we're all kind of there um, cheering them on. And I think, yeah, I mean, I think I haven't noticed much like resentment or anything like that. Um, uh, and I and I feel like we've got great examples. You know, we've got Eloy <laughs> and yeah. he's been a great example for our Dominican guys and, and just both as a person and a player. Um, and so I think that's, 
that's helped. We've got some some diversity. <laughs> yeah, and and with the the commonality of the, the language challenge, the culture challenge, and you know the sort of uh, all for one, one for all that you, you spoke of earlier, that's got to override anything where it's like, oh, hey, he's got a different flag, you know, than me, because you know there does have to be some unification just to just to get through it together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is a bonding experience. I mean, these guys go through, they spend more time with each other than they do with their families. And so, you know, if you think about a, a, a guy from another country who enters the academy in January and never gets home until almost, if they do instructs, they get home maybe in October. Um, and so they're spending almost 10 months away from their families. And so they're brothers. These are brothers. These are, you know, best friends and, and feel like family. And I, you know, spoke on the culture shift and I think there's more, if not pressure, there's more incentive for native English speaking media and really even fans uh, to, to have a vested interest in the well-being, the connection, the understanding, you know, across cultures, you know, I've spoken very briefly to you about, you know, the things I've tried to do or the challenges that are out there. Aside from watching, say, music like a movie like Sugar, uh, what are the sort of things that we as native English speakers who might not even have any Spanish knowledge at all, what are the sorts of things you'd encourage us to do or even just attitudes to adopt, just maybe be better understanding of, of what these players are going through, you know, the, the really the plight they've undergone? Yeah, I mean, I think to a small degree, most people in this country have felt at some point in their lives like a minority um, or felt, you know, different in a situation that they've been in. And so then multiply that by 10, (laughs) you know, Um, I think it's important just for people to be empathetic. These guys you know, we're, we're closing the gap in terms of how much extra they're doing compared to their, their um, American teammates, because the Americans are really coming in too, you know, they're, they're coming towards them and trying to learn Spanish and trying to work with them. And, um, and so we're trying to close that gap a little bit, but our guys do so much more work. Like you think of a typical AZL day, the American guys might show up at, I don't know, 2.30, the the international guys are showing up at 11.30 because they've got class, (laughs) you know, and and then on top of that, if they haven't finished high school, they've got at least an hour of high school work to do um, before they even step on the field, before they even step in the clubhouse, they are doing hours of extra work. And so, you know, they're, they're, and they're away from their families and they don't know the language and, 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 you know, there's just so many things that, that contribute. And so I think it's important for folks to think about, just imagine yourself as an immigrant to any other country where you don't speak the language. But then on top of that, imagine that your job also depends on that, (laughs) you know, I mean, this is their livelihood and we have to remember that. Yeah. And, and speaking of incentive to keep guys engaged, maybe even with their own high school studies, much less uh, just learning the language, uh, underscores how important a position like yours is because a big part of what you're doing is being someone they, they want to work with, 
but, you know, giving them the incentive to say, okay, if, you know, if you get through this lesson, you know, you know, here's where you go next. And, you know, eventually, you know, maybe, you know, you're done or you've achieved or you've graduated and, you know, it's easy to overlook, you know, I suppose, but that's a, that's a big deal to be able to, you know, to keep the carrots out there to say, okay, come on, you know, you're almost there and, you know, look where you're going to get to next. Yeah. And I mean, you never want to think about them not playing anymore, but, but that's also a thing that we have to talk about is that you're not all going to make it to the major leagues. You're not all going to have a ton of money at the end of this. And so what is something that we can do to ensure that at least you will have a comfortable lifestyle afterwards? Um, One of the kids who graduated this year was released and he um, has a, he's in the U S and has a job in the U S. But then uh, he lost his job recently and said to me, now I can say I'm a high school graduate. That's going to help me jobs. And he was like, I never thought of this before because I was playing and I didn't think it would. Yeah. It's just a task to do. And that's something that actually can function for you uh, sooner than he thought, I'm sure. But um, (laughs) all right, let's circle it back to you. Aaron, uh, aside from, I, I guess, possibly having to change your socks and, and become <laughs> a, a White Sox gal, how uh, has being in this position and working with these guys, how has it changed how you absorb the game, how you watch the game, how you enjoy the game? Yeah, um, it's, it's changed a lot. <laughs> I mean, just having this personal connection with people now is it's better than I ever thought, <laughs> honestly. I mean, I, I've i always watched baseball. I mean, you could find me as a nine-year-old girl watching Red Sox games literally every single night. <laughs> um, and now to be able to watch the games and really know what it took for someone to get where they are is so exciting to me and also rewarding and just like every day I pinch myself, like, am I really in this position? Do I really get to, you know, like work with, with these guys and hopefully make their lives better in some way, but also like then get to see them achieve greatness. Like this is, I never could have dreamed of this when I was little, never. I think you found from listening to you, and I think you have found the sweet spot of a pretty awesome job. If you're just like, oh my God, I'm pinching myself each day to, to yeah. do this work. And uh, so everybody listening or watching, uh, don't be too jealous, but I know, right? She's, she <laughs> is in the spot. <laughs> uh, this has been extremely eye-opening and, and so much fun to do. And, and definitely, Aaron, I hope we're able to, to talk again and do a lot more work with you together because this is an important story that I think is easy to overlook. And if we're only paying attention to the Luis Roberts when they're superstars or when they're all-stars or MVPs like Jose Abreu, uh, we're missing a big part of the story. I think it's uh, very important. And it's, and listen, it's sort of fun. Of course, there's some, there's some drawbacks and guys get released and such, you know, it's not all uh, home runs and, and grand slams, but uh, there's just so much that's rich in this and what you're doing and what you're leading for the White Sox. So I, as a fan, certainly appreciate what it is you're doing and, and certainly hope we can do a, a lot more together in the future. Absolutely. I may be hitting you up to 
do practice interviews with <laughs> with some of my players. <laughs> now that would be fun. All yeah. right. Well, thanks everybody for listening or watching, reading always Southside Sox and, and certainly special thanks to the White Sox for making Aaron available to us. And of course, Aaron, for giving us uh, being so generous with your time here today. And I hope we can do something again uh, real soon together. Definitely. And thank you. And thank you for profiling my players. I love seeing when I get to see them and see their names and I usually forward them on even if they can't. So there are, there are definitely more to come. We're only at 50. So there are definitely more to come here. Can't wait. <laughs>